Joining me on the show today is James Aylward. James is the Senior Vice President and Head of Data Product at Pluralsight. Welcome, James. Yeah, thanks. Nice to be here. So, James, you've been at Pluralsight, this is four months? Yeah. Is that right? Yep. But I'm going to do what I normally do, which is back up and talk a little bit about how you got here. Tell me a little bit about your journey in the product and how you got started. Well, it's always a circuitous route into product, right? I mean, I, I guess I started life as a, um, a really, really bad Visual Basic slash Java developer way back in Australia and in, in Melbourne. And quickly realized I wasn't very good at developing. Uh, I didn't go to school for that. I went undergrad for business and later got an MBA. But what I did get out of that, you know, a couple of years is a real appreciation for what's possible. And that, that time was the sort of early days of the internet and um, what we could do and how much, how we could innovate and basically how development works. But I also saw, you know, started to see a huge gap between, and back in those days, it was waterfall. You know, like it was, a, I was working for a big financial services firm. You didn't have to be a rocket scientist to work out, hey, the, the customer's missing here. Like, where is the end user in all of this? So quickly started developing and, and got out of um, the, you know, engineering developer to um, when I moved to the States, um, came over here, worked a little bit and um, some data stuff with Harvard Medical School and then eventually EY and tech consulting in, in the EY world. And then... Um, really got the big break in at Staples where I started their um, their innovation um, idea exchange was the innovation program for all the associates in, in Staples and Staples had I think like 90,000 associates at that point and bringing those ideas um, from the front lines to actual products was something I was fascinated by. Um, so that's that's where I started to, to get on that journey and get that um, real energy for, for product and launching products and um, being involved in the product creation process, understanding what you know what customers want, and, and prototyping, building, and launching. So from there, it was the you know the big re recession started. Um, thought it was a great time to go get my MBA. Went back to Sydney, uh, went to AGSM, and then which is Australian Graduate School of Management, and then came back on exchange up, up to um, to Dartmouth to finish my MBA. All throughout Staples, I'd heard all this stuff about Vistaprint, and I was like. They're, they're doing something right. You could just tell by the metrics that they were they were beating us on copy and print in every category. So mm. what was the magic there? So I went there and I, I really find that that was my, I guess my real product learning school was, was Vistaprint. And it, was, it ran very similar to the Lean Startup, the book. You know, everything was A-B testing, huge amounts of data in, in every product. And it was a really fun combination of um, physical and digital products coming together and also a whole bunch of algorithms involved as well. Like what, you know, what do we display to the customer inbound and what does the returning customer experience look like different to a new customer experience, which in those days was really groundbreaking. Everything was A-B tested and there was a ton of autonomy given to people at a very early stage in their career. So I learned a lot about data-driven processes and how to build um, products that we have a very high confidence in terms of um, revenue generation and you know things like fake door testing and demand testing through through data driven experimentation at at Vistaprint, which then led me to Gazelle. My boss from Vistaprint went to Gazelle and um, she said, "Hey, you got to check this out. It's a really high growing um, startup, and it and it was um, really pioneered the iPhone um, and MacBook and Android for that matter, you know, resale market." And at the time, it was a one-sided market, and I came in, we made it a two-sided market, so we were both buying and selling 
um, used iPhones and Androids. And again, the math and algorithms behind um, getting those, those markets to, to match is, is huge. So I had a real appreciation um, at Gazelle for how, how we can drive both sides of a, of a two-sided market to make um, a real robust business out of that. And then I guess the, the, the latest stage was at um, Fidelity Labs, where I went over there and, and founded the Artificial Intelligence Incubator at Fidelity, looking for um, places we can drive product development, but also make ourselves more efficient in terms of using AI and ML techniques throughout the firm. And it's a huge place. There's a whole bunch of different attributes of that that we could dive into. But it was a lot of fun establishing the AI incubator and growing it from you know, me in a conference room to about 24 people, 25 people, um, working in cross-functional teams that look a lot like the cross-functional teams here at Pluralsight. And it was some of the architecture of both the systems and the people organization at Pluralsight that really attracted me here. So that was a, a long journey to, to how I got to where I am yeah. today, but it's, it kind of felt like along the way I was learning different attributes of, of product development that have really you know, set me up to, to be able to provide leadership here today. Vista Print, I hear that name a lot too, and I think that VentureFizz sometimes does these, I don't know if you call them retrospective, but they, you know, where are they now kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. And I always think it'd be interesting to have them do that with Vistaprint. Oh my God, there, the, so. the Vistaprint network is deep and yeah. rich, and, you know, it, it's spawned a whole bunch of other companies, like DraftKings is probably the, the biggest example of that. It's interesting, that mindset and how it creates yeah. companies, and, and Boston needs that. We need those sort of anchor yeah. companies that train people up and then go and spread out and make a richer and deeper um, ecosystem. And that's kind of that philosophy that I'm trying to bring to Pluralsight um, today in Boston. So you're new to Pluralsight, four months or so in. How have you gone about attacking, you know, the 30, 60, 90 day, you know, indoctrination in the Pluralsight? Yeah, look, I, I'm thrilled. I've never been happier joining a company ever. This has just been an amazing experience. There's so much you know, that you expect to have to sort of work out as a new leader coming into a position. Um, usually you're looking at, you know, vision, mission statements and then trying to work out how do we structure the teams and um, are the teams have the right makeup? Have we developed the right culture? I've been amazed by how well that's been ironed out already. We, we all know what we're here to do on Pluralsight. We're here to democratize technology skills. Everybody knows that. And it is, it permeates the culture. We have um, core values that, like it's, it's kind of funny, I tell you it's a joke, but I left Fidelity and then was walking up the street after had a bit of a party and send off there. It happened to be the summer party here. So we were walking down the street to get on a boat for the summer party at Pluralsight. As a joke, I rang, I ran my uh, wife and said, hey, I'm between jobs right now. But got on the boat and people would just come up to me and talk about the core values of Pluralsight. But unprompted, I wasn't asking about it. I was just trying to meet people. But yeah. they would sort of talk about, hey, you know, like seeking context is a big deal here we we all have um, ideas and and um, thoughts and people throw them out there but instead of just judging them on face value uh, we then go and ask for the for more context and understand what was the sort of factors that led up to that decision um, before then making a judgment or making um you know plans beyond that uh, another one is you know accountable for excellence and committed to something bigger um, so at Pluralsight we are we have a huge and thriving um, business with b2b generally, some B2C on how to um, train people up from their current skill set to the skill set that they want to have. Um, but we also have Pluralsight One developing as well, which is our uh, nonprofit arm, which, you know, we want to be able to democratize technology skills across the world for, and we're starting to do that with, um, 
you know, providing more access to computer science teachers throughout high school and also making our product available for people as they leave sort of um, the high school level to be able to generate, you know, to go up into um, professional tracks using Pluralsight to be able to get the skills that are in demand today. Um, so there's this real deep culture and so that it's attached to the, the vision of the company and the culture's right. The architecture of the team is amazing. So each one of these teams is small teams that have um, product people, designers, um, architects, and data scientists as we need um, in the team. And they all, they all have the autonomy to ship to production every day. They also have this amazing, um, it's not, it's, it's based on lean, but it's not quite lean, called directed discovery, um, which is our process of using qualitative data. Um, we're increasingly using more quantitative data in this, this approach. But our small teams are, are totally um, authorized to ship to production and um, start acting upon the insights that they've gained from, from their customer discovery. So each one of these teams can, can, can run and, and do and learn and um, quickly get up to speed on where they need to be. So you, you take all that into account. I'm like, I don't have to come in here on the, and do the sort of 90-day playbook. I'm ready to, to start innovating. You know, like it, it's, it's I'm listening to what the team, their ideas they've already got on track and how do I increase those and how do I accelerate? Um, what roadblocks can we remove, if any? Um, and how do we get to work? So it has been amazing for me coming in and I've had one-on-ones with pretty much everybody in the, the data product organization. Um, and they're all, it's very similar. It's just, hey, this is the best place I've ever worked. And I, that sounds like I'm total propaganda, but yeah. I'm not lying. Yeah. <laughs> it's just been, it's been so refreshing and so cool to come to a place where um, we all have that shared sense of mission. So I guess we can blame Nate or give Nate credit for oh, all that. Oh, completely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. So on the directed discovery front, so clearly with that approach, it seems like you guys have the customer at the forefront, you're, you're getting context around everything you're doing. Are you tasked with adding in and upping the data aspect of that? Or tell me how, you know, machine learning, AI, data science, how are you guys infusing that into the process? Yeah, there's a couple different ways. And we are, I mean, we've, we've don't get me wrong, Pluralsight's been using data for years. Um, but we're trying to um, systemize it. And, pro- and productize the use of data within within directed discovery. So, I mean, there's there's lots of different elements. We're still in the draft phases of it, but the way I see it is, look, we've got voice of the customer as you know a huge huge element of how we do things at Pluralsight. How do we augment that with the voice of the customer as revealed by data? So people will tell you stuff, but you couldn't tell me you know what buttons you clicked on, or, or, you know during the experience, or what search terms you put in 30 days ago. But through, through a data deep dive, we can see that, right? So we can bring out more of the voice of the customer in the moment, the revealed intention of the customer as they came to the Pluralsight experience and what they really look for. We can also identify the people we're talking to on a qualitative viewpoint. Are they representative of a broad customer segment within um, Pluralsight or are they just sort of a niche that we've been able to, to, to gather at that, that particular moment um, and be able to be more scientific about who we talk to in um, in terms of qualitative discussions. So that's, that's one, it's, it's the sort of the discovery viewpoint. Um, another element here is, as we, we have one of our core values is creating with possibility. Data science gives us more colors in our palette. We can do more things with data science than we ever used to be able to with um, you know, the sort of more traditional software development um, processes. So 
given that, how do we prototype and use and create with possibility the, the build experiences that we hadn't thought about before? And that's actually a really interesting mix because most customers don't have a, a true deep understanding of machine learning and AI techniques. Um, and even increasingly, you know, we, we're coming up the learning um, curve ourselves in terms of product and design. Um, so how do we um, identify what's possible in terms of the product design world and work closely with data science to see and, and be able to develop those predictive experiences um, that only we can develop and that we need to develop quickly in order to build um, an experience that nobody else can touch. So there's the voice of the customer, there's new prototyping, and then when we've developed a product, how do we get deep with the um, analysis and tracking of that product? And that's more than just saying, hey, did the product work or did it pass the test to see whether um, people gave a thumbs up or down? It's, did it achieve its objective? Have we harvested the right uh, metrics and are we looking at the right um, you know, A-B testing, for example, if, you know, if it's working the way we imagined it was gonna work to begin with? How do we do that? Um, and so bringing that data back in that feedback loop only makes the whole virtuous cycle run that much quicker. How are your products team, our product teams leveraging this new frontier of, I mean, it's not that new, I, I, but to your point, it's been there, but are we really, I think what's new is people actually making practical use of the AI and the machine learning. How are your teams starting to use that? Yeah, so there's a, there's a number of different ways. Um, one is after you know any any learning module happens, we are recommending the next best action for you. So um, it's gone from a rules based to sort of a more of a machine learning based approach, and we're about to launch that uh, more heavily in production. Um, so that's one angle. Another one is, and this um, has always been a strength of Plural Side, is our assessments. So instead of having to do sort of thirty to forty to fifty questions to work out where you are in any, any one skill. Um, we can cut that way back to sort of 10 questions. And that's all because we can impute from, you know, a history and a huge amount of data that we've had from previous learners to work out quickly where you are in the proficiency um, curve in, in any one skill. So that's one angle. Another one is we're starting to identify, hey, you know, look, you, you looked at these, uh, this, you know, these elements in, in the content library. Um, you were able to pass on this skill. We kind of think you're this role. So we build into role IQ. Um, and I identify and we've been able to predict, hey, you, you look like you're going to be a, um, a big data engineer or, or you, you, you're on the Azure track because you're using a whole bunch of Microsoft Azure products um, and be able to walk people up through various skill IQs to being able to have this role IQ and we're able to say, hey, you know, this guy's a, a data scientist. Um, let's, let's get him or her up that curve through these different skills and, and the next level of um, content to, to the, where you need to be. So what we're trying to do is shorten that path from where you are today to where you need to be in terms of skills. So a little bit different to Netflix, where we're trying to Netflix are trying to get you to consume more and more content. Mm -hmm. We're actually trying to get you to consume the optimal amount of content to get you to where you really need to be. Um, similar algorithm, similar math, but just a slightly different tweak on um, the match between learner and content. So it, to me, it's fascinating. Like. It sounds like it's, in one way, you're trying to reach into the talent pool earlier to identify strengths and opportunities, perhaps, instead of saying, look, we're not going to recommend something until they've achieved level 10. We're going to say, look, you know, you, these, is it, it, can you look at two um, achievement scores, for lack of a better phrase, 
and identify, look, they both scored a 90 on this for proficiency, but this guy is really more fit for this role and this gal is really more fit for that role and then level them up from there? Or is that kind of the idea? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's what we're going to be able to get to it pretty quickly is um, that level of um, intelligence. And that's another reason why I'm so excited to join Pluralsight is that we have these data assets that really not, I don't think anyone else can really touch in terms of the, the marketplace and landscape is we can actually be the authority on, on how you do that. Yeah. Um, and the data assets that, that we have, is, uh, some of the most exciting things about Pluralsight is, and they're, they're rich and deep, and they, we've been very um, cognizant over the years of, of retaining a lot of that. So we're able to um, be able to help guide and, and um, optimize that learning curve. And it's, it's not just, hey, everybody else on this track does this. It's people like you um, have done previously these steps to get to this outcome you should too, or you should consider that too. It's, it's basically what the math is, is trying to um, get to. Mm-hmm. Um, and in so doing, we're, we're providing the sort of wisdom and guidance of all those learners that have gone before you to you um, to do, you know, we're not prescriptive about it. We provide that suggestion and, and most of the time it seems to be pretty accurate. Now, it's only as good as the data coming in. So, you know, that's really where we, when we start talking about machine learning and AI, everybody wants to get into the algorithm zoo and talk about neural nets and you know LSTMs and a whole bunch of different you know algorithm um, abbreviations but it's it's only as good as its data so yeah. when we start imagining and starting creating with possibility we've got to understand the data set and what's what we have and what's available and how can we augment that data provide the service that we need but is the biggest challenge probably isn't the collection of data is so much as it is okay what do we do with it and how do we what are the algorithms that will come up with the most accurate and useful answer than yep. the collection piece. Yeah, actually, I mean, having more data is actually statistically what I've seen from a whole bunch of research is more important than which algorithm you use. Mm. Um, it will drive more efficiency and more prof- proficiency in the you know the end recommendation than will um, hunting through all the different possible algorithms you could use. Yeah, you need to be in the right ballpark, but um, if I had a choice between more data or a better algorithm, I'm taking more data. Yeah, it's okay. it's really interesting because it, it w- the more training examples you have in general, I mean, you know, I'm talking generalities here, but the more training data you have, um, the better your resulting model will be. Would you say your focus is more on the individual who is trying to assess and level up their skills or is it on the the employer market trying to identify the best talent or is it equal? So the, the answer is both, mm. and, and the answer is actually yes and. Um, we're also thinking about our content community as well. So the people who write the content and author the content, um, how can we provide them with the right data as well? So, um, and it all works in a really virtuous cycle. So if we, can, if we can make the learner's journey so much more efficient and optimal, that improves the, um, the employer um, you know, experience as well. So they're, they're trying to upskill, and it's a, it's a massive challenge for... Um, for technology companies and you know, every company around the world, because most companies are becoming technology companies, is how do you take the people within your um, organization who exist today and upskill them to the skills that they need to have to, to tackle um, today's environment or you know, the environment 10 years from now? Um, it's a very difficult challenge. And again, you need that sort of personalization at scale. Um, so is, if we can make the learning journey better, we can make the... Um, you know the technology leaders um, journey better within the within the organizations 
And if we can feed that feedback loop saying, hey, this content worked really, really well, or we have a, we have a content gap in this particular um, technology um, to our content community, they can build the right content for, um, for helping everybody come up the, the learning path. Our data products have to run across all three of those personas, and we think about that every day. What's the biggest challenge for you here, yeah. your team, your organization? Yeah, so it's it's focusing. It's focus, right? It, it, and it's it's my favorite challenge, right? It's yeah. the <laughs> we have a world of opportunity. Um, what do we do first, and what sequence, and what order, and how many resources do we assign to each one of these priorities? Um, which is the classic product. Um, you know, product design challenge. Yeah. You know, we see a whole bunch of different opportunities. We're currently working on our search um, technologies. So uh, our search is, is great today, but we want to make it so much better because that is the revealed, that's kind of the transmission of the whole product experience at the moment. We want to be able to provide that incoming learner with um, the exact right content. And then from there, how do we, how do we recommend the next best um, action? So search recommendations uh, we're also we're always looking at our assessments um, trying to make those as optimal as we can and really doubling down on the core experience to be able to make that learning journey so much so much more optimal and, and be respectful of the really limited time that people have to to learn and then as I said building more visibility for the technology leaders within companies and also um, providing the right level of feedback and data to our um, author and um, content community. Qualitative versus quantitative, I, that strikes me as similar to the question of data-driven versus human-centered design. How mm -hmm. do you strike the balance between those? Mm -hmm. um, well, directed discovery is built entirely around you know, human-centered design, and it's always going to be, and we're, we're not going to change that. It's, we will always have a, a very deep respect for the qualitative understanding and discovery. And as I said before, the quantitative stuff is really augmenting that and bringing more of that um, learner's journey to light through the data exhaust that, that people have as they go through the experience and the sort of signals that they can provide through what searches they do and what buttons they click um, in order to be able to provide a better and more rounded picture to that human. Um, so we don't see it as data exclusive. You know, we would not want to do that. It's it's data augmented or data enhanced design. You know, if, if I don't think anyone's come up with a snappy algorithm. I mean, sorry, a snappy uh, sort of acronym for it. But yeah. I think there's a big opportunity in the market is to talk about how we as product practitioners um, are able to build out this really deep and rich picture of, of our, uh, you know, the people we design for. But it does seem like machine learning and AI are starting to be able to establish some of that human side, that intent yeah. through the data. Yep. And I think that's where a lot of the power yep. potential is for, these, for these tools. To yep. be able to say, it, we're not turning our back on the qualitative, quite the opposite. We're turning up the emphasis on the qualitative. We're just allowing ourselves to access even more of it more readily through the ex either existing data or yeah. through new data we're collecting because we have the ability to reach in and grab that information. Oh, completely. And th there's a bunch of different ways of doing that. It's more, more than just understanding the, the person we're talking to at that point. It's also like, hey, this person gave us this, this um, insight. Is that representative across all yeah. of our customer base? Like how many people have the same challenge? And then we can say, oh, great, let's go fix that because it's, it's affecting you know 93% of our, of our customer base. 
or oh, actually it's only really a niche product for the, a problem for this one person. You know, maybe we can think of other ways to sort of do that on one one onesie twosie basis than um, building out a new product for it. So it's going to help us with conserving and using our resources in, in the way that, that best fits our customers, um, which is ultimately what we're trying to do in any product decision is, is it worth um, allocating resources to this problem or, or to another opportunity? So what are some of the, the pitfalls to keep in mind when you're using data? I mean, you've got this data science background. It's clearly been a big part of what you've done. What are some things to look out for? There's, there's, a, there's a ton of things to look out for. As I said before, you're algorithm is only going to be as good as the data that's you know you've collected so you've got to really think to you know where did this data come from and is the data accurate and does it have the right sort of volume and depth and velocity um, to be representative of um, whatever experience you're trying to predict um, or you're trying to gain insight from so that's a big pitfall is, is and if the you know, if the data has any sort of bias in it, the algorithm will reflect that. And we've seen plenty of examples of that in the market that you'll have a, you'll have a skew. So being, a, 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 a being able to understand any bias in the data is, is hugely important, something we take you know, very seriously. But the, op, the upside from that is we can use synthetic data to correct that bias, which is actually a lot easier to use data to correct any bias than it is to potentially unbias, um, you know, big sales forces or teams or wh whoever it is. And it, I'm not talking about, you know, necessarily uh, malicious bias. I'm talking about bias for that people have um, from just being in a certain geo just or just being, being who they are, who yeah. they are what, you know, the way they look at the world, whatever it is. And of course, malicious bias, yeah, we can yeah. totally get rid of that too. But it's it's being aware of that um, to be able to understand what data you have in your data set. Is it skewed? And is your data complete? What are you missing? You know, because we're not going to be able to capture all the data all the time from everything. And you know, do we have a, a way to identify what the gaps are, um, and then be able to make up for those somehow? So, what's most exciting in your space in a plural site for you? Yeah, it, I mean, to me, it's the um, really we have an opportunity here to change the way the world learns. Like, I I don't think anybody else has, at least in terms of technology skills, the data assets that we have. So to me, when you're looking for a challenge and, you know, I talk to data scientists all the time and I talk to product people and people who want to get into data design and like, what do you want to do when you get, when you get up in the morning, do you want to do something that's truly impactful? And to me, the answer to plural side is yes. You know, you can, you can change if we crack the nut here, if we really understand how to be um, predictive and be able to identify the optimal path for anybody to learn. You know, we can change people's lives doing that. You can you can get people to to understand concepts and learn, you know, coding languages or design methodologies or even uh, management styles that unlock potential for people. You know, all not just we're not just talking big businesses here. We're talking about any, any you know anybody around the world. Um, and we've seen that with, you know, Google made a, a video. It's on YouTube about um, a guy in India who was able to learn. I think it was JavaScript. I'm not sure on the the language, but now he's got an internship at Google. It totally changes his life and changes the um, life of his family. So, you know, if we can take the data assets that we have here today, be able to use the huge and rich and vast content libraries that we have at Pluralsight um, and be able to provide the next best opportunity for people to learn, 
that changes people. You know, it changes the way people learn and it's, it's exciting to get up in the morning and think about that. We also have people here from like the MIT Media Lab and who've worked there previously. I was talking with one yesterday in our team um, who really understands the way people learn and the teaching methodologies. And can we marry that with our data sets? And it's not just about using data to drive recommendations. We're also trying to use, you know, the human um, understanding of, and it's a good example here from, that we always had at Vistaprint was we would make new content all the time. And the new content never sold as well as the, the old content. It was kind of like a band having new songs. They sort of, you sort of have to seed them every yeah, now and then. Play the hits, man. Play the hits. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. So if we just always showed what worked m- most popular all the time, we'd soon become stale because the landscape changes. So, you know, that's one of the cool things about, you know, the, uh, the challenges we have every day is how do we bring in that new stuff and how do we weight that new stuff in, in terms of the old stuff um, to be able to provide the optimal pathway because the pathway will change. And that's where we get into some really cool discussions about LSTM, neural nets, and um, other sort of neural nets that understand um, recency. So, you know, we have cool, cool conversations about that, but really we're talking about changing the way people learn. So and what is it stuff. about the old stuff that people like? Is it just yeah. the old stuff or just simply the way it was packaged and delivered? And yeah. Stuff? Or is it just the volume? It was cool, you know, yeah. three years ago, but now things have moved on, but our algorithm hasn't. You know, like yeah. we need to be very aware of that and be able to make our algos change as um, trends change. So that trending data is enormous for us too. And again through the search boxes that we have um, within Pluralsight, we can, and we've got a technology radar index out there already, um, we can start to understand how the market's moving in terms of technology skills acquisition, um, which is a super fascinating um, discussion to have with you know, technology leaders around the world. As one who's been in product for a long time, either on the design side or the, or the product management side, or in my case, the marketing side, I've made plenty of mistakes, and one of those when I was a product manager, I think, was this lack of using and or seeking data to drive decisions, product decisions. Yeah. Um, what's a mistake that you've made in your career in product? And tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I'd, I'd say there's, there's two ends of that spectrum, of my mistake spectrum. <laughs> no, I mean, I'll t- <laughs> one was, I mean, I think there's a danger of going too quantitative, and... I'm not sure if, you know, like it it was, uh, Vistaprint was a good example. We had the free business cards and the quality of those business cards was like we could go to the printer here in the office and make a better business card. Like the paper was, and this is no disrespect to anybody, Vistaprint, I love everybody there, but the the paper quality back then was just awful for our free stuff. Um, And we would do all the hard work. We'd do all the marketing. We'd bring the people in. We'd sort of give them the free business card. And then we'd be surprised when we studied the data and they didn't come back. And like, why, why aren't they coming back? The answer was pretty clear from a qualitative viewpoint, right? The, yeah. the paper stock was pretty bad. <laughs> so we were able then to say, look, and this is actually where data set, me free, set us free. I was able to build a business case there and say, look, if we just moved from our, like our absolute base substrate to the next best one, that's you know, a million bucks a year or something on a you know, huge... Um, product line for for business cards at Vistaprint. Let's just try it. You know, like let's let's take that qualitative and and you know sort of forget our quantitative roots just for a little bit, just to ch- do an experiment here. And lo and behold, it worked, right? So we we're able to to switch everybody up to the next best substrate, 
and that was more than paid up for in repeat you know visits from from first time users so that was the example of going too quanti and then no qualitative bringing the qualitative and the voice of the customer yeah. and, and Vistaprint went through a huge um, learning curve to sort of bring in qualitative information well it's the whole you know what versus why right yeah. we know what's going on yeah but we don't know why right. yeah exactly so let's ask and the reverse is true too. So I've been yeah. in other places where we went so deep on qualitative stuff. You know, like we, we talked to everybody, we did user journeys for forever. But you couldn't see any patterns from that. Yeah, and we and I think because, and this is always a problem for any product, I think, you know, it doesn't matter what methodology you're on. If you take too long to get to a prototype, you don't get that feedback, that data feedback um, from real customers who are in real time quick enough. And what happens is I think teams sort of, you know, clam up and they don't want to, release a prototype or we end up talking about yeah. the potential UX or the potential data design for forever when really the customer didn't want the product in the first place, you know? So right. how did we, you know, how do we discover that quicker if we aren't using a prototype to generate that quantitative data quick enough? Um, you'll spend a whole bunch of time potentially building something that nobody wanted in the first place. Well, to me, the, the rate of learning is never quicker than then when your first prototype goes out, you yeah. know, like when you start to sort of ask people to press buttons and try things and, you know, and then, well, the only time it gets quicker is that is when you go to alpha, right? So yeah. when you've got people in the heat of the moment trying to use a product, then you really find out whether, you know, is it the UX? Is it the yeah. data? Is it the underlying whatever? And it's so hard to backtrack from that the further down the route yeah. you get. Yeah, yeah. So, But if you don't do it, you can spend forever going down a path nobody... That's the worst in my mind is yeah. when you build something that nobody wants. Yeah. So when you talk about coming to Pluralsight, I met with Nate in the first interview with, with Nate. He sort of had me in the first sentence of our mm. convers first conversation ever together when he said, look, we've done X amount of customer interviews and we've pushed to production Y amount of times and X and Y were both in the you know thousands. Um, it showed that a, we, we are listening to the customer, and but B, we are quickly getting to production and understanding whether these um, inset, insights and ideas work. That's hugely impactful. So I, I, I was um, massively happy to get into that sort of environment um, where, yeah, we're quickly, we're listening, but we're also quickly testing. And that's, if we had, and we have multiple, like you know, 30 teams or so, all doing that every day on every aspect of the Pluralsight experience. Um, it's it's really impressive, and it's something that you know, like when you when you see someone a team that's really good at something, you just sort of stand back and like, hey, this is this is awesome. How do I add yeah. to that? How do get I get out of the way? And how can yeah. I help? Yeah. How can I you know how can I bring in the right resources and and maybe you know tweak a few things, change a few things here and but ultimately that flow of insight to to product experience, how do we make that as as informed and um, rapid and fluid as we possibly can? so that we're not overthinking it, um, but we're taking educated um, hypotheses and taking those to production and really learning about it quickly. Then there's also the psychological safety there of, you know, hey, we, we took a shot. We took a shot and it, it didn't quite work this time, but we're gonna learn from that and tweak it and change it a few, t few different ways and have another go. Um, and that's what the teams do here all day, all day every day. Uh, and, the only thing I get worried about is if they're not taking those shots. You know, how yeah. do we get them? How do we get the teams going, taking as many at bats and as many swings, and maybe um, every now and again trying to go for the home runs rather than trying to, you know, bunt or push a single here or there? Like, how do we get them 
um, really thinking big and really creating with possibility. That's what I see as my role and um, as a leader is just sort of you know trying to inspire that sort of thinking and um, being able to remove roadblocks where necessary. What have I not asked that I should ask about data or plural side or I think there's a growing need in the market for understanding what we're doing here. Like I feel like we are learning a whole bunch of lessons about how to do product development and I know Nate's been great about sharing directed discovery with the world. Yeah. We're evolving directed discovery. There's more to come. And that, yeah. you know, direct discovery like any any process is never done. Um so I think there's a, and I've been talking with a whole bunch of people in the data product world and in, in data science, and data science works on a slightly different time scale and a slightly different, uh, definitely a different um, likelihood of success. So we might try in data science to do something and you find out rapidly you can't do it or you find out you can do it and it's amazing or you find out different things than, than what you went in with. So um, we wanted to find X from the data set. We, we couldn't do X, but we could do A, B, and C. And you're like, oh, can we turn A, B, and C into a product? Actually, maybe we can. Does anyone care about A, B, or C? Yeah. Well, how do we go back to the customer and then start the discovery loop again? And then there's also the thing of with these product teams, as we build out a, a web-based experience, we can, as a designer, you can sit there and put a button or a call to action on a, on a web page. And we are 99.9% .9 certain that our dev teams can build that web page or that button that does the thing. With data science, you say, hey, I want to build here a matching algorithm or recommendation machine based on the data that we have. There might be a 75% chance that we can actually do that or it might be a 60% chance. And it, you know, how do we build in that uncertainty into our process and our development process? Um, and there's also a different timing as well. So it might take a bit longer than um, developing a web page, for example. So how do we not slow down the teams that are sort of doing the tr um, traditional software development process? but also take advantage of everything that we can get out of our data and data science. I don't think anyone's cracked the nut on that. So I think there's a, there's a big um, sort of procedural hole in the landscape there. And I think that's where the next sort of product development um, opportunity in terms of product development process is going to come from. So I'm massively excited for that, that sort of meta opportunity as well. Um, so that's well, cool. between yourself and Nate and Gil and others, others like that, um, if it can happen anywhere, it can happen at Pluralsight, I'm sure. Yeah, you guys have got the right team. So. I feel like we're on the on the in the right place, at the right time, and it just it just feels it just feels natural for me. So I'm yeah. I'm very excited about that. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Hey, no worries. It's been All great. Right. You can meet all of our product heroes at freshtilledsoil.com forward slash blog and clicking learn more about our series at the top of the page. Do you know a product hero that we should meet? Are you a product hero? Drop us a line at marketing at freshtilledsoil.com or hit us up on Twitter at freshtilledsoil.